are entering the Freedom Hut. Could Trump be the worst enemy that Vladimir Putin has ever had? Well, the president certainly thinks so. He said as much. We'll get into that. And also, you are hearing so much about this investigation and Mueller and the witch hunt and the probe. Where was Obama in all this? And how involved was he in what we have seen here from the deep state actors against Trump? Plus, later on, what is masculinity today? We'll tackle that. And the Democrats' crazy chance to abolish ICE. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This This is The Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Far tougher on Russia than any president in many, many years. Maybe ever. Look at the sanctions I've put on. Look at the diplomats I threw out. Look at all of the things that I've done. Nobody else did what I've done. Obama didn't do it. Obama was a patsy for Russia. He was a total patsy. Look at the statement he made where he thought the mics were turned off, okay? The stupid statement he made. Nobody does a big deal about that. Getting along with President Putin, getting along with Russia is a positive, not a negative. Now, with that being said, if that doesn't work out, I'll be the worst enemy he's ever had. The worst he's ever had. There you have President Trump and uh, laying down the law a bit. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you here. You know, what a crazy week, right? I'm I'm looking forward to this this week, just getting into the books, and we can move on next week to some other stuff. Because this week has just been bonkers. All this stuff about Russia and all the, the paranoia and the insanity. You have people who still want to be treated as serious commentators on public affairs and on policy out there saying that Trump is a fully controlled asset of the Kremlin. I mean, people have just lost their minds. They really have, as we've discussed in all week. And I don't want to retread that ground. I'm just saying that Trump's coming out swinging here because he's not he's not sorry. He knows who he is. He knows he's not controlled by the Kremlin. He knows that's all crap. He knows the left wing is just trying to find ways to stir up more venom against a president who's becoming invulnerable to the worst verbal barbs imaginable because who cares at this point they can't hate him any more than they do it's not really possible when you're getting compared to hitler as an as a normal thing when you haven't done anything even vaguely hitlerian i think you start to get numb to it after a while i think that's where this president is uh also by the way man of the week for me goes to Rand paul Rand paul just getting it done so glad to see the senator from Kentucky uh, doing his thing. And uh, he's got more on this. I mean, he's taking it now. He's taking his fellow Democrat senators and some Republicans to task over just what they've put the country through this week. Play 12. Trump derangement syndrome has officially come to the Senate. The hatred for the president is so intense that partisans would rather risk war then give diplomacy a chance. Does anybody remember that Ronald Reagan sat down with Gorbachev and we lessened the nuclear tensions? We need to still have those openings. Nobody is saying or excusing Russia's meddling in our elections. Absolutely. We should protect the integrity of our elections. 
But simply bringing the hatred of the president to the Senate floor in order to say, we're done with diplomacy. We're going to add more sanctions and more sanctions. You know what? I would rather that we still have open channels of discussion with the Russians. You would think that's a pretty bipartisan point of view, right? Open channels of discussion with the Russians. That's not something that should be controversial, should be too contentious, and and yet it is. And yet it is. And you must say to yourself, why is that? Why is that the case? Oh, because this is all political. This really has very little to do with geopolitics and foreign policy. It's just, as Rand Paul said, it is Trump derangement syndrome on full display. Um, I want to talk to you more about uh, what we've seen from the deep state and, and why I find it really troubling uh, that there are so few honest people on the other side of the aisle who will even admit that they still think deep state is like a laugh line, like, ha ha, yeah, right, there's a deep state. Someone explain to me how we have all of these former intel agency officials who are now paid left-wing partisans, okay, they've gone to the left-wing networks, they're on the payroll, and they spend their time just trashing Trump in the most irresponsible way. And, you know, he is the commander-in-chief. He is the top consumer of U.S. intelligence products. That's just a fact. And you'd think that people that had spent their lives, oh, just in public service, if they weren't hardcore ideologues for the left, would at least have some deference and some respect for the person that the American people have given the authority in their name to act as commander-in-chief. But there's none of that. There's not... Not only is there no deference or, or no decency even extended to the president, there is vitriol. There is a complete and utter disgust for this president from them. So it's, it's troubling to see, and I think there's no way around this. There's no way to, uh, to try and soft-pedal what's going on. Uh, they are in full-on media revolt against this president and using... Their once privileged positions in the government to enhance their voices, to elevate themselves in the public discourse. It's very, very damaging. But it also is illuminating. We get to learn what they think. We get to learn what they really believe. And part of that process has involved people like the former director of national intelligence, who I just interviewed, I don't know, a week or two ago myself, uh, James Clapper, saying some things that maybe tell us more than he intended to. Uh, this is on, because, you know, right now, one of the problems is that when they push and push on these issues of Russia, there are counter-arguments. One of the biggest ones, one of the most important ones, is that if this was such a big deal, an attack on our democracy, and, oh my gosh, five alarm fire, DEFCON 1, what are we going to do? If all that were true, how could the Obama administration sit on it? until really after the election. We all know the answer to this, but they this is one they can't get around. Obama made a political calculation. The Democrats, who were in power, rolled the dice on this one, and they lost. They rolled the dice, and they lost. Clapper said something very interesting, though, about this. Play clip seven, please. And I'm alluding now to uh, the president's criticism of President Obama for all that he did or didn't do uh, before he left office with respect to the Russian meddling. If it weren't for President Obama, 
we might not have done the intelligence community assessment that we did that set off a whole sequence of events which are still unfolding today, notably Special Counsel Mueller's investigation. President Obama uh, is responsible for that, and it was he who tasked us to do that intelligence community assessment. President Obama, according to Clapper, should be hailed as some kind of hero here for having them do an intelligence community assessment. Wow, that'll show them. As somebody who has been a part of intelligence community assessments in the past, let me tell you, not exactly going to strike fear into the hearts of the Ruskies. Did you see that email I sent you? No, I'll send it again. Did you get that off the copier? Oh, no, I'll get it for you. Whoop, do we have the conference room booked up? Nope, nope, I'm not sure we do. Let's come back tomorrow. It's really not, you know, snake-eating door kickers gathering together to save America as part of Team America. That, that's not what the intelligence community assessment is. Just in case you wanted a little bit of extra background on that one. But here's the big avenue of inquiry that we haven't gotten really anything on yet and i think we need to and there are some challenges to it because of executive privilege and because of all of the different ways that they'll fight this just like they're fighting disclosure at doj fighting disclosure from within the oval office is is an even easier thing to do therefore more difficult to achieve transparency what did Obama know about this Russia probe and when did he know it? How much of what we are seeing now with, you know, Strzok and Page and, you know, uh, all, all these different figures, Comey and Brennan and Clapper, you're going to tell me that now, we've seen Clapper and Brennan running around essentially calling for people to do everything in their power to get rid of this president, that he's a danger to this country, that he's a national security uh, travesty, and they're doing everything they can to undermine him, to ruin his presidency, to end his presidency. These were Obama's top intel guys. Does anyone really think that they were siloed off from the Oval Office, that, that they weren't telling President Obama about what was going on here with this? Does anyone really think that they weren't a part of discussions in which Obama must have had to make decisions about whether to go public with some of this information before the election. And also, as we know, to then have surveillance as a lame, when he was a lame duck president, you have surveillance and investigations into Russia and Trump collusion. What did Obama know? Why have we found out so very, very little about that? I mean, I'm, I'm asking the question rhetorically. I think, we under, I think we understand why we haven't heard much about it. But we've come to realize, I would say beyond a reasonable doubt, that there were very powerful Democrat appointees in the intelligence community and at the Department of Justice, essentially people that were either appointed by or deeply loyal to Obama, regardless of whether or not they were appointed who were working to undermine, stop, and then when they couldn't stop, destroy the Trump administration, using their government authority and power to do so. This is the deep state that we talk about so much. But what we don't yet know is how much the White House was informed of those efforts as they were ongoing. And I, as somebody who comes from an intelligence community background, refuse to believe that Obama just washed his hands of this, had no idea, 
wasn't directing this, wasn't involved in this. The information that I really want that just doesn't seem at all forthcoming right now, the stuff that I really need that I'm not getting to understand the full scope of just how grotesque the abuses of power were at the end of the Obama administration, using the intelligence community, weaponizing the surveillance and investigation uh, processes of the IC against a political opponent, we have to know what Obama's hand was in all this. How involved was the opposition party's president knowing that once Hillary wasn't going to be the president, there had to be actions taken to mitigate the damage that would be done after Trump had won when it came to people finding out just what had really gone on here. There's no question in my mind that there were efforts to hide information, that there are going to be continued efforts to uh, slow roll, if not entirely destroy any records that could be released that would illuminate this. But I, I just wanted to put it out here. Obama ordered, you'd heard Clapper himself say it, and Clapper would know. Clapper would have been in the Oval Office frequently with the president on these matters. Obama ordered the intelligence community assessment. Couldn't, can you imagine a world in which the FBI does not inform the president of the United States that they are running an investigation, that they are running perhaps even informants into people tied to the presidential campaign of the other party? I don't believe that, that I don't believe that's possible. I don't believe that happened. And we don't yet have full transparency on this, but where was Obama while all this stuff was happening? While the deep state was trying to destroy Trump, what was Obama doing? What was he telling them and how much did he know? We need answers to that. And the good part is now that I'm in D.C., I actually know some people I can ask to try to help get some of those answers. But I, I think that's the, the, the great, because I'm thinking, you know, there's, there is this effort now to slow things down in case Democrats, you know, Democrats take the House People are saying, oh, well, Comey needs them and Brennan needs them to take the house so that the investigations stop. What if the reason that the FBI has been so slow to release this information isn't just that it's protecting itself? But what if they think that they are somehow duty bound to protect the previous administration? These are questions that I think need to be answered. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. We uh, have quite a show coming. I'm going to be talking to you about, later on, about masculinity, about abolishing ICE, about, because uh, they're trying to change what masculinity is. Here's the, the version is now masculinity is going to be like wimpy, boring, and lame. That's masculine now. That's what they want you to think. Uh, we're also going to talk about the Democrats running socialists and how tone deaf that is considering the economy is doing really well. Um, and maybe I'll make fun of California today in terms of its sanctuary city policies in San Francisco. I'm not sure. I don't know if we'll have enough time, but we'll see. Stay with me. Is there a risk that Vladimir Putin could have recorded it? That risk is always there. Is there a risk that the soccer ball could have been wired? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have ability to 
measure those kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. Don't don't worry, uh, Andrea Mitchell. They they got it. Okay, they're not going to take the soccer ball the Russians gave them and just like leave it in the situation room. You mean the one with Wolf Blitzer? No, I mean the real situation room. I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's okay. It reminds me, man, memory lane here. I was this is a couple of years ago on CNN, and one of the anchors, I won't say who, because she's actually a nice lady. She doesn't she doesn't seem to read a lot. Uh, but I was on her show. Or she was, I think, guest hosting the show. I don't even know. Who cares? But she asked me, she's like, so in counterterrorism investigations, how how does the FBI monitor phone calls? I said, well, you know, the FBI can if they have have a warrant. They actually can monitor them in real time. They can record the phone call. They can listen in as it's happening. And she said, yes, but what about cell phones? And I looked at her and I thought, yeah, like, you know, cell phones. She goes, stupid question. <laughs> yes, thank you. Exactly. She, this was on live TV, by the way. She goes, yeah, cell phones. I go, yeah, they can do that. She, and then she, I'll never forget. So she asks me, can the FBI listen in on cell phone calls and record them? And I'm like, yeah. And I figure maybe she got lost. Then she goes, are you sure? <laughs> I'm like, wow, lady, you're really doubling down on this one. I mean. Uh, I guess trust the quote expert, which in this case is me on this one. Yeah, the FBI can listen in on cell phone calls. They can do a lot more than that, too. But maybe that's a discussion for another time. But uh, not a, not a lot of exposure to real world stuff from some of these, uh, you know, journalist types out there. Not a lot of exposure. Um, that was always amazing to me. And yeah, do you think they've bugged the soccer ball? You know, think about the think about how that would look. If, if they discovered that the soccer ball that Putin... First of all, he gave it to the kids, so I'm assuming it's going to stay in, like, Barron's room. So if the Russians were listening in it, they'd probably hear Melania being like, good night, Barron, and, you know, him playing lots of... I was going to say Doom. I just aged myself. That No one plays Doom anymore, do they? That's not... Producer Mike, what are the... What's the cool video game if you're a kid now? Like, what's the main... Call of Duty? You don't know? Dude... You're supposed. To, you're the cool one here. You don't know. I don't know, John. I can't even hear him right now. John, you're cool too. I don't. Is that a game? I don't. You tell me. All right, we come back. We're gonna take a task to the deep state. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. To keep this momentum going, to continue this economic miracle, and that's what it is. It's a miracle what's happened in the last year and a half. We must invest in job training and vocational education. I mean, the fact is that companies are pouring back into our country. Companies that, frankly, left 10 and 20 years ago, and they're coming back, and we need people to work for those companies. We need talented people. We need people with training. That's why in a few moments I will be signing an executive order to establish the National Council for the American Worker. That's a first. Do you think any intelligence agencies, U.S. intelligence agencies, are out to get you? Well, certainly in the past, uh, it's been terrible. Uh, You look at Brennan, you look at Clapper, you look at Hayden, uh, you look at uh, Comey, uh, you look at McCabe, 
You look at Strzok and his lover, Lisa Page. You look at other people uh, in the FBI that have been fired, that are no longer there. Uh, certainly, I can't have any confidence in the past, but I can have a lot of confidence in the present and the future because uh, it's getting to be now where we're putting our people in. But in the past, no, I have no confidence in a guy like Brennan. I think he's a total lowlife. I have no confidence in Clapper. Take a look at all of the shenanigans that have gone on. Very hard to have confidence in that group. Now, I know you may be thinking, Buck, that's kind of topic whiplash you're giving us, right? You got the president one second talking about the economy, then you place another another soundbite of him talking about the deep state and some of these former government partisans who are out to get him. But But I do that because... What I started with there, what you hear from the president, is what I want the president to be able to focus on, what I want the government to focus on, which is growth, prosperity, uh, good governance, and just overall well-being of the United States. And what I had to transition to, because that's what the administration has to transition to, is I'm not a Russian puppet. This is all crazy. Russia didn't hand the election to me. Hillary wouldn't have won. Can we please stop? The deep state is real. They've got a problem. They have Trump derangement syndrome. So much burned time and energy and effort on all that stuff. And it's a real detriment to this country. And that's what I wanted to focus on for a minute. This is not cost free. This isn't, oh, well, who cares? No big deal. It is actually a big deal. It does matter. In fact, that we have this uh, circumstance where the president is bogged down with all this crazy stuff. And it is, frankly, crazy. I'm running out of words here. I'm saying bonkers and crazy and insane and deranged. And it's it isn't rational, though. It's like we're not having an adult conversation anymore about Trump. It's as though the people that oppose him because they have not been able to come up with a a, a narrative that the American people will go for have just turned to uh, some kind of psychological disconnect. And that's their, that's their best means of coping. It's, it's a coping mechanism, pretending that Trump is a Russian agent, pretending that Trump is, uh, is you know, this terrible Hitlerian figure bringing fascism to this country. Yeah, have any of you felt the grip of fascism since Trump has been president? I mean, I, I really want to know. If a single person listening to this broadcast coast to uh, coast to coast across the country, if one person listening feels like they've had to deal with true fascism because of Trump, not because of Democrats. I'm not, Look, if you live in a place where, you know, the recycling police are coming after you, that's on you. I mean, that's Trump's fault. Any of you have had that experience? I really want to know, and I, I want to hear it. Um, I also do find, though, that I'm I'm running out of patience and I worry that that's part of the left strategy here, too, that they believe that they can outlast us, that their psychosis will overcome our rationality just through sheer force of will. So I I I worry about that because some of us are just like, I, I don't want to have these fights over the deep state anymore, I wanna, but they won't stop. The investigation won't stop. And in the moment that we drop our guard, the moment that. We no longer have our shields high. Uh, we could have a very big problem on our hands, and they may get what they want, which is to not just 
get even with this president, but to destroy his presidency. Uh, to destroy this president, to destroy his presidency, which means stopping the agenda he was elected for. And so that's where I'm starting. I'm starting to see some people on the right that are just like, you know what? The gloves are off now. I'm I'm not hearing it. I'm not having these people, the, the Mullers and the Brennans and, and other, well, not Muller, but Brennan and Clapper and others going on TV treated like nonpartisan experts who just have the best interests of the country in mind. No, no, no. Joe DiGenova went on quite a tear, and I'm seeing others who are saying similar stuff, but but some of the people I know who are following this closely are in the media. Uh, they've decided that they're no longer going to be polite about any of this anymore. And uh, here's, what, here's what Joe had to say. Play three. I want to talk about two people, John Brennan and Leon Panetta. John Brennan is a traitor, and I'll tell you why. He's the real traitor. What he did and what he has said recently about the president of the United States is despicable. He is personally responsible for the leaking of unmasked information. He was responsible for the sharing of false information to U.S. intelligence sources to get FISA warrants. He is personally responsible for the sharing of false information with American intelligence agencies. Leon Panetta should be ashamed of himself after what he did in Benghazi when he kissed Hillary Clinton's fanny, refused to allow forces to come to the rescue of people, and now he says that he thinks that the Russians may have something on the president to compromise him. Shame on Leon Pernetta. May he rot in hell. Wow. I mean, this is where we're going, folks. Yep. A Dijanova slap. Doesn't, not quite as catchy as a buck slap, but a, a Dijanova slap. Uh like, hey, Dijanova. It does sound, I'm sure, somewhere along the line, there's probably a Grandma Dijanova who makes fantastic hand-rolled pasta. I'm just saying, it's likely, okay? It's likely. Um, but the buck slap there, courtesy of Dijanova, was was uh, was poignant. And I think he he's tired of it. I think a lot of us are getting tired of this. Uh, by the way, he was a United States attorney for the District of, of Columbia from 1983 to 19. 19- 88, according to uh, the Wikipedia here. And now he's a lawyer here in D.C., but he's, he's sick of it, man. This whole thing, you know, I, I would have so much more respect for the Democrats if they would just come out and say, look, we want Bernie Sandersism. We think that this is a better way for the country forward, going forward. Here's what we want to do. Here's how we're going to try to achieve it. And we could have a real battle over ideas. Saying that the president is a puppet of Russia and a traitor is not is unserious and very damaging. Not just damaging because, oh, it's mean and they're making the president feel bad. It's not that. The president doesn't care. You know that. The president's not, he's not losing any sleep because they're saying mean things about him. But it coarsens the discourse. And I know that feels like, oh, my gosh, Buck, but Trump, Trump, he tried. No, 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 no. I mean, between all of us, between just normal folks. It's one thing to say I disagree with your president or disagree with the president. It's another thing. And you can even say I I think his policies are, are really bad. When you say he's a traitor, what you're also doing is tainting all the people who voted for him, who support him, who stand with him. You're suggesting that they all are part of his treason. And there's a really corrosive effect on this. And, and, you know, you see this with uh, with what's going on right now, where anybody who tries to cross party lines at all. And I'm not even talking about politicians. I'm talking about anybody anywhere. Runs up against a degree of opposition that is just completely 
uh, insane in terms of how elevated it is and, and how fervent the opposition is. And I'm trying to find this right now. I mean, I know that uh, where where did it go? Um, whoops, no, it's so Ben Shapiro, whom you know we've had on the show many times in the past. He's very busy with his own show these days, but he's welcome anytime. He knows that. Uh, ben Shapiro is doing great work, and the Daily Wire is a really excellent site. And so I don't even know who it was. I'm trying to find it right now, guys. So I'm I'm sorry that I'm uh, I'm coming up short on the specific the specifics of the names here. But I saw it earlier today, and you know you've got Ben Shapiro is brought up by some liberal as like, hey liberals. I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but this was a Twitter exchange. Hey liberals. If if you want to follow somebody that maybe you can be, you know, enlightened by in some way about the other side, you know, if there's anything that here it is, here it is. Sorry, it took me a second. I, I lost it for a moment there. Mark Duplass. OK, I, I don't know. Producer Mike, do you know who this guy Mark Duplass is? Never heard of him before. Yeah, he's a uh, actor and producer. One of those. People. Oh, oh, Hollywood. Oh, now I know why. Okay, so this guy Mark Duplass put out a tweet, and and I have the response uh, tweet uh, where he had to what what I would call the hostage video tweet that he put out afterwards. But he initially wrote something like, you know, Ben is somebody that maybe you disagree with, but you should listen to him. You know, and and uh, yeah, that's you know, Ben makes makes good faith arguments. He's not out there to just trash people. He's obviously a very very smart guy. I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And Matt Walsh is over the Daily Wire now. I think Matt Walsh is a great writer and uh, also a really sound thinker. Emily Zanotti, who you know is a friend, has joined the show many times. She's over Daily Wire. So they're, they're just doing really good work over there, and I respect that team, that crew, and what they're up to. But anyway, this guy Duplass puts out a tweet about this, and he gets, for merely saying, hey, if you want to see what the other side thinks, he gets his hand blown off, metaphorically speaking. I mean, he gets crushed. And so this actor-producer guy, Mike, what's he in? Anything I would know, by the way? Do we know what he's in? What was never heard of him. Yeah, I can't. Off the top of my head, I can't think. You, you may like know his face if you saw him, but he hasn't done anything significant. Okay. Um. So. Okay. Uh, don't know who he is, but the point here is that he tweeted out something that was like, maybe you could listen to Shapiro, and then he had to tweet this out a day later, I guess, to try and save his career. He wrote, so that tweet was a disaster on many levels. I want to be clear that in no way I endorse hatred, racism, homophobia, xenophobia, or any such form of intolerance. My goal has always been to spread unity, understanding, and kindness, but I'm going to make mistakes along the way. Sometimes I move too quickly when I get excited or fail to do enough research or don't communicate myself clearly. I'm really sorry. I now understand that I need to be more diligent and careful. I'm working on that. Oh, my gosh. This guy had to write this to save his bacon because he said that Ben Shapiro is somebody you might want to read some stuff from. This is how bad things have gotten, folks. And by the way, Ben Shapiro also appeared in a New Yorker piece recently. A total, just a total intentional smear. He was there with, uh, they, they mentioned Shapiro, um, uh, Roberts. They're like, you know, here are people that speak on college campuses and create controversy. And it was like Milo, Ben Shapiro, and Robert Spencer. First of all, Milo doesn't speak on college campuses really more, anymore. 
So I don't know what that guy's doing, but he's not doing that. Robert Spencer is a white nationalist scum, and Ben Shapiro is a top conservative thinker, pundit. I mean, somebody who's in, in, in this media space and doing a great job. How could the New Yorker put those three names in the same paragraph, in the same article, unless it was one to refute the other or something? They put them in the same sentence. This is where this is all going now. They can't win the argument, so they just get the left gets more desperate, the tactics get more underhanded, and the whew, the uh, the reality here is this is going to get worse. It's going to get much worse because they don't have a real argument to make, and they don't have the ability to combat conservatism right now on the battlefield of ideas. They just really don't. It's all hatred. It's all mean words. It's all animosity. All right, all right. I know, I know. We got calls coming in. I, I got a team. We got some calls. We'll talk more. Uh, next hour, we'll talk about abolishing ICE and how people talk a tough game about it, but they don't really want to do it. We have much, much more on the way. Stay with me. Welcome back, team. Uh, we've got some calls up here. Let's see what we've got. Uh, who? I just dropped my thing. Oh, yeah, Mike in Fairhope, Alabama. Hey, Mike, how you hey, doing? Shield. Great. Shield tie, Buck. Shield tie. I called in and had a thought about the, the situation out there in San Francisco and all of the poop in the street. And it occurred to me that's some real extensive property out there. And uh, at a certain point, people are, are going to start losing some property value, won't they? I'm sure it's affected. Look, I, I, I'm guessing that the uh, the defecation situation is primarily in the not ritzy areas. By the way, you know how much the you ever see the see the show Full House? It's okay, Mike, you can admit it. Come on, we all love Uncle Jesse. And, uh, yeah, no? I think, I think I might have seen it. Yeah, that's right. He's a, a honest man. We've all seen Full House. It's a nice show. That house in Full House in San Francisco now, I think, is worth four million dollars. <laughs> so that'll give you a sense. Of, and it's just like a house. Four million dollars, uh, and they no longer are allowed to take tours of it or something. I, there's something that came up recently. Anyway, the the, the poop on the streets um, is probably in areas where there's not a lot of rich folks, but citywide, it's obviously a problem. The thing about living in a city is, even if the bad areas, so to speak, are the only ones affected by stupid policies, or or the not so you know wealthy areas are affected by dumb policies. Everyone has to use public transit, right? Everyone has to walk around the park. Every, there, there are some places of shared experience, even if you live in a $4 million mansion like the Full House house, um, where it does affect you. So I don't know. The Bay Area has the most expensive real estate in some places, I think, in the whole country, which is amazing to me because I got to be honest with you, San Francisco is beautiful, but I wouldn't want to live there. Not my gem. And if I'm going to California, I want the warm weather. I want Newport Beach. You know, I want something like I want the OC. Sorry, Mike. I'm. I'm starting to dream out loud here, buddy. How are things down in oh, Alabama? That's great. Uh, right now, they're really hot. Uh, we're supposed to get some rain, but it seems to be holding off. But it has been uh, too hot to do any work in the yard. Well, I hear you, man. Well, stay, you stay, stay hydrated. Hydrate, graduate. That's what I was told they say at West Point. I don't know if that's true, but somebody told me that who would know. Uh, thanks for calling in, Mike. I pre- By the way, producer Mike, very important to stay hydrated. I will have you know. Very important, especially in these hot. You promise, all right? Do make me call producer Mike's mom and, and check in on you, all right? You got to make sure you, you stay. You, you, you don't know. need to call. She listens every night, Buck. You can just tell oh, her really? right now. Yeah. Dude, producer Mike's, producer Mike's fam is 
is awesome. Yeah. So, you know, they're supportive of the whole Freedom Hut operation here. Absolutely. And we got to take some photos of uh, of Cash. The now we'll say the official Freedom Hut mascot, right? Cuz I mean, we don't have another one. So, if Absolutely. he's the mascot, he's the only one. One and only. Yeah. All right, cool. Thank you, sir. All right, team, we got a big second hour coming up here where we're going to talk about ab- abolish ice, abolish ice, which is not a thing that anybody should want to do, but some crazy leftists want to. Didn't go very far, though. Democrats won't vote for it. What a shock. That and more in just a few. I've got a Simply Safe security system at home. There's so many things I love about it. It's so easy, and I feel so secure, especially when I'm outside my home and I can check in using the Simply Safe app, right? These guys at Simply Safe are all about the details. You know, one example is that Simply Safe didn't want false positives. You know, someone drops a plate. Oh, gosh, the alarm goes off, right? No, no, no. They constructed a glass break test facility so that they can distinguish that Simply Safe system that you have can distinguish between a broken plate or a broken window. No contracts, no fine print, no shady stuff that you get with all these other security, home security companies. No, 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 no. You'll get 24-7 monitoring with police and fire dispatch, just $15 a month. Go check it out. It's the best around-the-clock protection you can find. Protect your home today. Visit simplysafe.com slash buck. That's simplysafe.com slash buck. Simplysafe.com slash buck. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. I've been consistent. I get asked this a lot. I do not believe Special Counsel Mueller is on a witch hunt. Uh, I think it's a professional investigation conducted by a man that I've known to be a straight shooter uh, in all my interactions with him. It's undeniable that the Russians are taking the lead on this. Uh, Basically, they are the ones that are trying to undermine our basic values, uh, divide us uh, with our uh, allies, they are the ones that are trying to wreak havoc over our election process. We need to call them out on that. It's critical that we do so um, and to then take steps to make sure that they are not able to do this with the election coming up. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, you know, you had the director of national intelligence there, the DNI, which is the government's reaction after 9-11 to the massive intelligence failure of preventing 9-11 was to add many layers of intelligence bureaucracy onto the existing bureaucracy, the best example of which is, in fact, the director of national intelligence, the DNI. But there you have the DNI, such as he is, saying that Russia is trying to wreak havoc on our election process. And right before that, you had Christopher Ray of the FBI saying it's not a witch hunt. So we just threw that in there, too. That's the latest from the FBI. The bureaucracy protects the bureaucracy. No surprise. But on the wreaking havoc on our elections, I keep saying this, and I don't know why others don't really understand this, too. Uh, I know some other conservatives do, but I don't know why more people aren't saying, oh, wow, you're right. There's no way for us to be able to ever trust elections again if we really think that what happened in the last election was, you know, election meddling Pearl Harbor. As so many people have said this week, as so many major publications have written this week. 
if just a few Facebook sock puppets, right, fake accounts, if some Twitter trolls, some memes spread on social media, and a couple of email phishing scams are enough to consider an election tainted, we will never have, and this is the world the Democrats are creating for us all to live in if we allow them to, we will never have another election free of the that that uneasy feeling that maybe this is illegitimate maybe this is not something we can trust and if putin's real goal is to just undermine our our democratic norms and our you know our our whole system what could be better than that it's not just the 2016 election it's all elections and there's nothing they can do to stop this. In, in, unless, tw- unless Facebook can find a way to prevent people from making you know, a fake account, which, you know, verifying every single individual on Twitter, first of all, be I- insanely slow to their growth and expensive for them, and they're not going to do it. But unless Twitter can find a way to do it, and Facebook, sorry, both of them, any of them, all these different social media platforms, you can't stop this. And this notion that even if Putin wanted to stop it, you might just have some Russians now with, they just want to get, you know, this is how they have a good time. You know, drink vodka and we will mess with the American election. And nothing's going to happen to them. No one's going to hand them over. No one's going to get sent to prison for it. And there's so much plausible deniability in this stuff. There's so many ways that you can engage in this kind of, election meddling and that it's never really going to stop and i just note that you know for me one of the big parts of all this that never gets addressed sufficiently because they have no answer to it is if this was such a big deal and it was so critical the obama administration had an obligation an obligation to you know hit the fire alarm you know, yell that the house was on fire, tell the American people what was going on, and come what may politically. But it wasn't a big enough deal in their minds for them to do that. Largely because they assumed Hillary was going to win, which is really the critical political turning point of this whole issue. They're not worried about the sanctity of democracy. The tragedy of the Russian intrusion into the election for Democrats is not that, you know, that we have this sacred thing of electing officials and our Constitution, the genius of the founding, all that's at stake. No, no. What upsets them so much is that Hillary lost, a Democrat did not become president, and Donald Trump won. And they think that is calamitous. They think that is the equivalent of being hit by a massive bombing raid or a huge terrorist attack or, you know, pick your historical catastrophe. But they only think it because of Trump's win. They would not have thought that if Hillary had won. We know this. And that's how we get the clearest insight into what they really think and what they really believe on this issue. Or they did believe. You know, what's a fair assessment of all of this? You know, they're they're saying that Trump, you know, this is a big thing. Oh, they're still targeting us. Are they still targeting us? This came up yesterday. Russia is never not going to be targeting us. Russia is not going to stop trying to influence American politics. Think about how important American 
positions and ideas and are to the whole world, the whole global economy, and to Russia and to all of its different interests outside of its borders, even in its borders. We're the global superpower. They're, they're going to try to do everything they can to steer us in directions that they want. That's not going to stop. But if we allow them to get so far into our heads that we really think that they can have any outcome on the overall trajectory of a national election, or they can change so many Americans' minds with these cloppy and slu- uh, you know, just, I just said cloppy, didn't I? Sloppy and clumsy was what I was trying to say there. But I just made up a new word. These cloppy, sloppy and clumsy mixed together. Uh, social media attacks. We're giving them way too much credit, folks. And we are opening ourselves up to much more self-doubt as a nation about our elections and what's going on with them than we should. And Democrats don't mind. They think that's a small price to pay for getting back at Trump. Let's talk about the left and socialists and abolish ICE in just a moment. I love dogs, you love dogs, but you know, if your pup's been kept up inside all day, guess what? When you get home, you open those doors, let them run around the yard, you might have a problem on your hands, digging. And what do you do about that, right? Because if your dog can dig under the fence, it can get out, and then you have to run around and try to grab them, or even worse, could put the dog in jeopardy, right? you got to make sure your dog is safe. Dig defense takes care of this problem. You'll never have to think about it again. Dig defense extends the protection of your fence underground. So no amount of digging is going to let your pets out of the yard or let predators into the yard. It comes in a bunch of different models and sizes. It'll fit your needs exactly. You can install it with a hammer and a pair of gloves. It's available online at Lowe's, Menards, Wayfair, and StopTheDig.com. Again, dig defense, the solution to pets digging under your fence. And right now, if you go, you can use promo code BUCK for 10% off in the month of July. Again, promo code Buck at Dig Defense, stopthedig.com. We are committing human rights abuses on this border and separating children from their families. And uh, that, you know, is, is. part of the structure of the agency we can replace it and we can replace it with a humane agency i don't think ice today is working as intended well, you think I you believe, should get rid of the agency i believe that it has become a deportation force um and i think you should separate the criminal justice from the immigration issues and i think you should reimagine ice ice was established in 2003 right at the same time as the patriot act the aumf the iraq war and we look back at a lot of that time and legislation as a as a mistake now I believe the moral character of the United States is at stake. So for me, it wasn't a question of whether I should go down there. Uh, if We have to have a rapid response. And I think every day that we go on, especially a day when something that heinous happens, uh, we have to occupy all of it. We need to occupy every airport. We need to occupy every border. We need to occupy every ICE office until those kids are back with their parents, period. Occupy, occupy. What does that remind you of, folks? Cool streets, our streets, occupy Wall Street. I remember. First real field assignment of my media career. 
covering Occupy Wall Street. I was there for every major Occupy protest, every major Occupy thing in New York City. I was there the day it started. I was there the day the NYPD came in and had to club a bunch of filthy hippies and arrest them and get them out of Zuccotti Park, right? I was there for all of it. But the rhetoric has returned. You heard there at the very end, and that was uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, she of, yeah, like people like the unemployment so low because like they have so many, like two jobs a person. So it's like double job for unemployment stuff and things. Yeah. What do you think of Israel and the Palestinians, uh, Ocasio-Cortez? Yeah, like Israel bad and Palestine and Palestinian um, good because Daily Kos and HuffPost say so. Okay. All right. We'll take it. Fair enough. Uh, but anyway, she was saying there, Occupy, Occupy. She knows what that is hearkening back to. And this is all about mobilization for the progressive left. Uh, this is all about what they're planning to do uh, going into these midterms. And this call to abolish ICE, I've been saying all along, this is just, it, it's such an example of the protest culture that Democrats have embraced that is largely a a brainless and thoughtless exercise. Abolish ICE and replace it with an agency that's more humane? Are you going to just fire all those federal employees and then rehire them with different uniforms to do the same job? Because none of them will say, well, we shouldn't have any customs or border enforcement, right? Because that is open borders. At at that point, they're actually just, oh, wait, you mean that's what they really want, but they won't say it? What a shock. But they can't say that. They won't just come out And let us all know that that is the real purpose of what they are after. So instead, you have this dance around of abolish ice, abolish ice. And they're they're chanting this, going around, abolish ice. Uh, And then when when they also there's a tell here when they say they want the criminal justice component of immigration and customs enforcement to be separated from the immigration one. uh, They don't think that being in the country illegally is illegal. That's what this really comes down to. They, they, this is why you see places like San Francisco that are going from sanctuary cities to sanctuary cities on steroids where they now allow people to vote for what affects some local government expenditures. I mean, school board, I know it's like local dog catcher. It's not that big a deal, but it's going to become a big deal. And school board in some places really doesn't matter. But you're hearing this, and I've been telling you for a while that Immigrations and Customs Enforcement abolition is a nonsense chant by unserious people. And sure enough, today, they, they put it to the test, right? And, and you can tell there's, uh, you know, this is, this is where you get a little bit of grandstanding on both sides here. But there were some votes today. Oh, my gosh, some votes today in the House of Representatives. And the first one was a resolution backing U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Republican leaders did this to show what they stand for. So, yay, Republicans, you don't want to abolish ICE. Uh, The vote was 244 to 35, with 133 Democrats voting present. Think about that for a moment, shall you? Shall we? Democrats won't even agree. Democrats in Congress won't even agree with their Republican counterparts. Now, I know they'll say that this was a show vote, which it was. I'm not 
I'm not naive, right? But you, you really, you guys have a chance to, to just go on the record? That's what this is, going on the record. Are you for or against ICE? Democrats abstain. Abstain. Uh, this is pretty amazing when, when you get down to it. Uh, and there were some other Democrats that I know actually were, were trying to push for an actual uh, abolition uh, of, of ICE. But that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Um, you know, this, this is pretty amazing to me. Uh, pretty amazing to see how this is, this is playing out. That you can have people who are elected at the national level and they think that it is uh, to the benefit of their party going into the midterms to take this position is, is truly, you know, Democrat. if Democrats were just normal, we'd have problems, folks. Because look, the Republicans haven't really executed in the Congress on a lot of the agenda. There are places where they're disappointing. We're going to have a trillion dollar deficit next year. A trillion dollars. That's obama level deficit i know no one wants to hear it i'm like i'm like captain i'm no fun i get it but we got to keep it real here and you know that's that's something that republicans are not doing well on they're just not getting it done but you know senator uh, thune I think, had some sage advice for the uh, political opposition here. Play clip nine. I think that the Democrat Party is drifting, and they're rudderless right now, uh, and they seem to be at least driven by the uh, far left. And in the Senate, of course, you've got people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and others who uh, are pulling them in that direction. And what it does is it makes it that much harder, I think, for moderate Democrats, for Democrats who at least have uh, a little bit of common sense from being pushed out into these uh, these positions that are going to make it very, very difficult difficult for them to to get elected in parts of the country where you have voters who are center or center right. I mean, these positions are completely out of the mainstream. And I think it's it's going to be very, very difficult if you're a candidate, uh, a Democrat candidate who has a primary not to be pushed way out there in that direction. It's going to be very hard to get back to the middle and win a general election. Yeah, I cannot remember. And I, I really mean this. I cannot remember the last time I heard a national level Democrat making the case for an economic issue of importance to the American people that was not some left wing fantasy. I can't remember it. I'm not even hearing them go to the well on things like minimum wage, which doesn't work the way people say it does and is not as good as people say it is and all but but you know what? It's popular. It's popular, people, minimum wage, people like it, right? Raise the minimum wage, I mean, sorry, I kept saying minimum wage. Raising the minimum wage is a popular issue, you know, give workers more, give workers more. They're not even going to that. I don't know if they, I'm starting to think that Trump derangement syndrome may have also made it impossible for them to even pull off the usual head fakes against the American people to make them think that they have any connection to the issues that matter to normal people. You know, whether there are 37 genders or not on a federal application for employment, that that doesn't matter to normal people. It doesn't. Normal people don't care. Okay? Climate change, as much as the elites whine about it, normal people don't really care. They don't. Look at all the polling. It's like 10, 15% of the population that really cares about climate change. Healthcare, people care, but not hearing anything from Democrats about that. 
immigration people care and all Democrats can talk about is amnesty and essentially incentivizing more illegal immigration. I don't think that's really what a majority of the American people are on board for. So I do think you end up sitting around thinking to yourself, what are they going to do? here? Abolish ICE? Is that really the pitch? Democrats won't even stand behind it, but they won't stand it against it either because they are a bunch of quizlings. Uh, a bunch of quizlings indeed. By the way, for those who are wondering, because that came up a bunch this week, and you're probably thinking, you're like, where does the term quizling come from? Fun little history tidbit here. Vidkin Quisling was a Norwegian, a Norwegian politician during the occupation of the country during uh, World War II. So when the Nazis occupied Norway, it's kind of like calling somebody like Vichy, the Vichy France government a Quisling is somebody, and, and Churchill referred to him in such a disparaging way that it became its own, its own term. But that's where it's Vidkun Quisling, the Norwegian. Military officer and politician who was running the country under the essentially a collaborator in a way with the uh, Nazi force. All right, uh, I've got much more teams. Stay with me. He's back with you now because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Are Democrats making a mistake in putting forth candidates that label themselves democratic socialists when at this moment look at small or large business sentiment or consumer confidence and Americans feel like capitalism is working for them? I believe in markets, but I also believe markets have to have rules. Otherwise, Rich and powerful just keep sucking up all the value and everybody else ends up eating dirt. I think that big parts of this economy are not working for the American people. When saying, hey, the unemployment rate has gone down, uh, that's a great thing. But, you know, when people are working at minimum wage jobs that won't support them or they're working two, three or four jobs to try to pay the rent and keep food on the table, then simply saying the unemployment figures have gone down just doesn't get you there. You know, there's so much going on there. You've got uh, uh, Stephanie Rule who I've got to say I kind of like, actually. Side note, but I don't know her. I like her work. But she's over on, uh, what was that, uh, MSNBC. So the furthest left mainstream cable network. And she she starts out by asking a very important question. I mean, a, a question that Democrats are going to have to stare right in the face real soon, which is the economy is booming. Economy is incredibly strong right now gdp growth is better than it was during the obama years by far i mean this is the economy's doing really well unemployment record lows lowest it's been in i don't know 30 or 40 years or something you don't hear anything about this remember obama had to win re-election in 2012 with a crap economy and because of the media and because of romney and the binders full of women and all the other unfair stuff they piled on romney's shoulders they were able to, you know, give give Obama four more years, right? Eight years of Obama, despite the fact that there were a lot of metrics in the economy where people said if unemployment is still at, you know, X rate, there's no way Obama can win. Guess what? It was at still at a, at a high level and he, and he won. I mean, there were a number of areas where you would think that objectively 
the poor performance that Obama had had in the presidency would have been a prohibition on a second term for him. But that's not what happened. They managed to get around that. But now you have an economy under Trump that is it is roaring. In fact, the economy is so good that you don't hear about it. That really speaks volumes, doesn't it? There is a deafening silence when it comes to criticism of the economy because Democrats have no message for the American people on this. They've got the usual class warfare stuff. They're going to try that. But we heard that during the Obama years and it didn't make anything better for anyone. It just was a lot of excuses. Now things are actually going well. People are making more money. The markets are growing. Wealth, wealth is increasing in this country overall, which helps everyone. The country is getting wealthier. And you look at this and you think, this is the time when the progressives are the only ones in the Democratic Party that seem to have any, any momentum, any energy, any enthusiasm, excitement, right? The, the Bernie Sanders wing, that's right, baby, Bernie's back. The Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party is the only one that's getting anyone energized right now. You know, the Pelosi's and the, you know, the other, the, the Schumer's, they're the people that fall into that category. They're going to maybe cruise to reelection in the midterms, or a lot of them obviously aren't up in the midterms. But there's no excitement. There's no interest. It's the socialists that get people interested. And this is where I, I have to say that the lack of, I don't know, the lack of a good, well, the media doesn't help on this, but also, you know, kids aren't learning enough about this stuff in schools these days. People just don't know the history of socialism. They don't know the theory of socialism. They don't know the radical foundations of Marxism and class warfare and what it really involves. They don't know what's happened in countries that have become socialist. And you will have, you know, the, the one thing you'll hear from people, and, and I want to arm you with this right now, you'll say, well, look at Venezuela, which, as I've told you, was a, a tragedy of errors on many levels economically, but one of the primary ones, one of the reasons Venezuela is like the eighth circle of hell right now is because they decided to set price controls to benefit the poor. That was, the, that was the, at least the ostensibly why they were doing it. There are a lot of other reasons, and there's a lot of kickbacks. And Venezuela is also a narco state, which no one talks about. I think the number three person in the government is sanctioned by the Treasury Department for being a cocaine and heroin trafficker, folks. Okay, so you've got a narco state as well. I just, you don't hear people talking about it. I, I can't tell you why. I don't know why. I guess the media is just not interested in that. But you'll bring up Venezuela and they'll bring up, oh, well, what about, oh, well, you mean Sweden? It's such a dystopia. And then I have to say to them, you guys don't understand. Sweden's not a socialist country. They, 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 don't, they don't know this. They don't understand this. Sweden's not socialist. In fact, Sweden and Denmark and Norway are very friendly to entrepreneurship, uh, to foreign investment, uh, to uh, businesses when it comes to regulation. Sweden, the Nordic countries, which are always pointed to as the example of, you know, how how great socialism can be. They're not socialist countries. They are high tax countries with a large welfare state, which is a which is a different thing, which is a different thing. It, it's not the government saying we're in charge of how everybody makes money and the distribution of goods and wh who's going to be doing what for whom and how. It's not the government picking winners and losers. The government saying, OK, make all the money you can make, my fellow countrymen. We're going to set aside this amount for social welfare programs, and we're going to set the tax rate at this 
eye-popping, jaw-dropping amount. That's what those countries have. And, you know, there's such an ignorance of this. You know, in Sweden, they're not saying bread is going to cost a dollar. And they're not saying that uh, they're going to, there's going to be a, an intentional penalization of the rich for the purposes of transferring money to the poor. They're not doing land seizures and redistributing it to the people. That's what they do in socialist, truly socialist countries. But you know what the other thing is that they won't tell you? There's not enough money with the rich for the rich to carry the burden of the welfare state that you have in a place like Sweden. We already have a pretty robust welfare state in this country. But there's not enough money if you tax just the, quote, rich. Let's say people who make, uh, what, a half a million dollars a year or more. Uh-uh. You can jack the rates way up. You're not going to be able to pay for free college for everyone, free health care for everyone. No way. If you want what Sweden has, you have to tax the middle class at a very high rate. And this is the this is the Achilles heel of the Bernie's Ocasio-Cortez wing of the Democratic Party right now. They won't tell you that, but they can keep saying the rich, the rich, the rich. There's simply not enough money. And if they, by the way, in trying to squeeze that money out of the rich, they'll say, and, and from corporations too, they'll create all kinds of downstream problems for the rest of the economy, problems in hiring, problems in wages, problems across the board. But if you really want free college, free health care, Medicare for all, all of that, the only way to even have a serious conversation about it is if people make in 30 to 150K, folks, are going to pay 40, 50, 60% of their income in taxes, in actual income taxes. Do you think that's a winning message? Do you, do you think the Democrats could really come out and, and make that pitch that, that the middle class is going to have to have huge tax raises too? I don't think so. I think that's a big issue for them. So... This is why it's just Santa Claus. It's just rhetoric. It's, you know, this is what Democrats say to make themselves feel good, like they have an important message, like they have something really to, to share with their constituencies. And to have Elizabeth Warren, and Elizabeth Warren is functioning an economic illiterate. And the fact that she was in charge of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, she was, I should say, not in charge of it, but she was the brainchild, it was, it was the brainchild of Elizabeth Warren in some capacity, does not speak well for that organization which, as we know, has also been trying to become a kind of uh, a subset of the deep state within the government, like the Trump administration is somehow not in charge of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, even though it's a federal executive branch agency. <laughs> so somehow they don't really get that. Um, but I'm, I'm telling you, the the fact that the Democrats are running socialists right now and that that's the the tip of the spear, their only prayer, folks. And I'm going to talk more to you about uh, the midterms and what I think is coming up in a second here. The Democrats' only prayer is to run candidates that have a kind of Republican twang to them, have a feel like a basic essence of Republicanism, and then you find out more about them, and the, oh, wait, guess what? This is a Democrat. That's the only way they have a prayer of taking back the House. If they run as the leftist progressives that they are as a party, it is going to be a very sad fall for the Democrat Party.
Joe Biden says he'll make a decision by January. Well, I, I, dream, I dream about Biden. That's a dream. Look, Joe Biden uh, ran three times. He never got more than one percent. And President Obama took him out of the garbage heap and everybody was shocked that he did. Uh, I, I'd love to have it be Biden. Uh, I, can, I think I'd like to have any one of those people that we're talking about. You know, there's probably uh, the group of seven or eight right now. I'd really like to I'd like to run against any one of them. But Biden uh, never by himself could never do anything. You know, there are very few people that have the ability to uh, slice and dice somebody quite the way that President Trump does. You know, we think of Biden now because of the way the media propped him up during the Obama two terms. We think of Biden as as a, a politician of some or we've been told, I should say, to think of him as a politician of some national significance you know people look at him and he's he's popular you think why is joe biden so popular when he's for one uh a guy who didn't really do very much during the obama years i can't point to anything that he was working on or in charge of that was significant and that made people's lives better or that did okay so no real accomplishment for eight years then you realize oh, oh wait a second the Obama administration. So the media was completely in the tank for Obama. And by extension, that meant they were also in the tank for Joe Biden. Oh, now it all makes sense, right? They were always. And you think back to some of his comments and he had these gaffes and they was, oh, crazy Uncle Joe. You know, he's just making those comments. And we all would on the conservative side, at least recognize that he was making comments that if a conservative made, it would have been game over. I mean, it would have been big, big problems. But because he's Joe Biden, you know, America's blue-collar Joe and all this stuff, somehow they were able to turn this into, oh, he's so likable. And I don't think he's likable. I think he's a very... Remember, he's also put you all back in chains. Remember he said that? I, I don't think he's likable. And when you look at his actual results, okay, sure, he's a senator from Delaware. Hi, I'm in Delaware. But, you know, he ran for president a couple times and was really just ahead of, like, Kucinich. I mean, was was in that same conversation. So was not a serious national contender for the presidency at all. And I think Trump, because he's Trump, because he doesn't buy the BS that's being piled up in front of him all the time by the media, he sees what Biden would be as a, as a competitor. He's like, yeah, this is great. By the way, I think he's completely right. I think Biden gets crushed by Trump if he runs in 2020, gets crushed by him. And that that also makes me think of something else here, which I, I've I've been saying to you and I want to keep saying to you because 2020 feels like it's a ways off. But the midterms are not. We're almost in August already. Right. The summer is absolutely flying by. And. You're getting pieces that are out there in places like the New York Times. This is just today, and this is what they're writing. A Democratic blue wave? Don't forget the Republicans' big hill. One seems like an unstoppable force, but a GOP structural advantage may represent an immovable object. Now, that's kind of a boring-ish headline with its very tortured analogies and everything else, but... uh. The truth is that what we have seen so far with Trump derangement syndrome 
if the Democrats do not at least take control of the House this November, what we have seen so far with Trump derangement syndrome, it's going to somehow get worse. And I don't know what that means. But I worry about the country. Now, I'm stuck between you don't want to give in to the temper tantrum of the Democrats, of course, of course. And say, well, I mean, maybe it's better if we have divided government. You're going to hear a lot of that, folks. A lot of Republicans, oh, they should have divided government. That sounds great. No. If Trump is going to follow through with the rest of the agenda, he needs control of the House and the Senate. In fact, it'd be great if we could pick up seats, although I don't think that that is likely. But even if they just maintain majorities in both, we have a very good chance of Trump uh, of Trump being able to implement more of the agenda. But I, I really mean, what does the country feel like the day after the Republicans, uh, the day after the Republicans manage with Trump as the leader of the party to and with two years of Trump as president, who is worse than Pearl Harbor, worse than Kristallnacht, a fascist, the Nazi, a racist, a, a sexual assault. I mean, all these things, all these things they say, if after two years of that, the Republicans maintain control of government what do the democrats tell themselves at night you know how do they keep themselves feeling safe and warm in their progressivism if not only trump gets elected and they say oh it's russia it was all russia really is it going to be all russia again in the midterms by the way i am worried that that's what we're getting ready for meaning that russia is now going to be the excuse for every election loss the democrats have And this is a really, psychologically speaking, this is really toxic. I mean, this is when people start to lose it. When they use the conspiracy as the justification for the things that are going wrong in their lives, then you have to really worry about folks. And I think that we are getting, we're going to see what that's like if the Democrat, because I'm telling you, there's analysis right now when they're saying, you know what, Democrats, this is the New York Times. Democrats, you may not win the House. And... And I saw this was from uh, John uh, uh, Podoritz, sorry, a, a Democratic Party failure. Oh, sorry. A Democratic failure to flip the House in November will trigger a political panic, the likes of which I'm not sure we've seen in the past half century. I completely agree. That's what I've been saying. That's from John uh, Podoritz. But I completely agree. It will be dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. And, and I think that. That's what we're heading for, folks. So if you think it's been bad with all the Russia, Russia and collusion and craziness up to this point, when Democrats fail to take the House this fall, it's going to get crazy. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Masculine. Adjective. Having qualities or appearance traditionally associated with men. Especially strength and aggressiveness. Some of the synonyms are... Macho. Manly. Muscular. (laughs) Well-built. Red-blooded. Red-blooded? My goodness. Strapping. Strong. Brawny. Powerful. 
I know for a lot of you, you're like, that sounds pretty good. What's the problem? None of these really sound like me. <laughs> I think that definition... Ah, masculine isn't what some guys like to hear. ...is a little scary. It's too small for something so big. It's all about trying to get people to conform and be a certain way. I think that's what gets us in trouble is when we say that there's only one way to be a man. I mean, there's not one way to be a man, but there's something, generally speaking, we can all agree on that is manly, right? Or uh, apparently not, according to this video. You define your own masculinity. You define who you are. For me, being masculine is being honest. This is the body that I have. This is what I know. So to me, this is what a man is. For me, what does it mean to me to be masculine? Um, it's more a question of what does it mean to be human? No, see, see, that would be what does it mean to be human? <laughs> see, this is like the... The lunacy of the left strikes again. That was a, a promo video. Now gotten millions of views and listens. Put out by a clothing company called Bonobos. Oh, and, and I will full disclosure, I actually I actually like their clothing. So I, I think that they make some pretty comfy stuff. I mean, not as good as Nine Line Apparel. All right. It's not as good as Peter Millar, but it's it's pretty good clothing. And they made this video about masculinity, and they get a bunch of guys who you know, some of them clearly are, I guess you'd say, beta male types. They're kind of like, oh, like, well, I think masculine is when, you know, if you can lift up both of your hands at the same time and speak, you are masculine. I mean, there's really this, what they're doing is they're redefining masculinity. I also think it's so interesting at the beginning of that video, it's so interesting to hear how they are kind of, ew, like strength and virility and aggressiveness and it. Yeah, you see, this is another time when, one, the, the left is playing games with definitions, and two, uh, this is an effort to eradicate gender distinctions. That is a, a real full cultural, I was going to say full frontal, but full cultural assault. That's what's going on here. They, they really believe in this. They believe this nonsense that there's no difference between the genders. They believe that they can just explain this away when there are... This, the difference between male and female, masculinity versus femininity, is rooted in science and biology. Testosterone brings about different physical and, yes, different psychological characteristics than estrogen, for example. I know women and men have estrogen and testosterone both, but the more testosterone you have, the, uh, well, there, there, there are clear effects on how you look and how you act. Right? This is why men and women are different. Men and women are different. They can keep saying that's not true, but they're wrong. And they are going against not just science, but common sense with this. But more to the point, this notion of masculinity and toxic masculinity. This is a phrase you'll hear. And clearly, the way they started out this conversation for this Bonobos video, they think toxic masculinity is a thing. And, you know, I just see this as we no longer even share the same ideals. You know, yeah, do I wish that I was 6'5 and could bench press 300 pounds? Uh, and some of you are like, Buck, I can do that. Uh, but, you know, do I wish I could do that? And do I wish I was, you know, 7% body fat? Uh, yeah, all that's true, right? I wish I was 6'5, 7% body fat and, and like an Adonis, but I'm not. I deal with the reality. I mean, that doesn't mean I don't try to make myself stronger. doesn't mean I don't try to put in the work. And it also doesn't mean that I reject the other parts of masculinity, that they talk about in this video, like 
you know, aggressiveness, yeah, I, I think some aggressiveness is a good thing. Aggression has an important place in our data. It has to be controlled, and you have to understand why, but aggression and drive are very much tied together. Dare I even say aggression and libido are even tied together, meaning that there is a degree of going out there and trying to, you know, trying to achieve, trying to get status, trying and, and, and aggressiveness pushes that, right? Your aggression to be, you know, your your uh, testosterone-fueled desire to be a certain kind of person is also tied to your very basic biological need to want to procreate and, you know, isn't it funny how you talk about this, oh, Buck, oh, people start to get all weird. This is this is our most basic reality. Biology is our most basic reality. I'm not saying it's our full reality. I'm not saying it's more important than spirituality uh, and our connection with God, but it's the basis of, you know, this is who we are right now, and this is what we are dealing with every day. And there is really an effort underway to redefine, that's what they're doing here, redefine masculinity, uh, try to convince people that what we think of as traditional masculine virtues, yes, there's that word, virtues are somehow now bad, right? Strength and you know, red-blooded and, and uh, aggression and all these things, they're supposed to be considered bad things. You know, if we didn't have testosterone, if men didn't have, the desire to, yes, to struggle, to fight, and to achieve. I don't mean to fist fight, but I mean to fight for those things that are important to you in life. Uh, we would not have had a, a lot of the human progress that we've had, right? We, we wouldn't be where we are. These are very important things. Uh, and, and I just find it fascinating how much the left contorts itself to eliminate this from, well, from our consciousness, but also just from our day-to-day lives. Uh, you know, this notion that we should celebrate essentially beta maildom. You know, we should all aspire to be like writers for Vox.com or something. No, no, th- this is it's look, it's kind of like when you see on the left, they'll start to say, well, we shouldn't judge people at all by their appearance. OK, we can all say that. But human attraction and sexuality are are hardwired into our brains. And while we can all tell each other we don't care what anybody else looks like, that's just not that's not reality. Now, a person of substance and worth puts all that into context and controls those impulses and uh, understands that it's not the most important thing at all. But to say that you're just going to ignore it because we're being told to ignore it, that's that's completely preposterous. And to say that. To say that masculinity is now toxic, our, our traditional definition of it is toxic and it's bad, is, look, I think it's dangerous for society. I really do. I think this is, a, it's not just that I disagree with them. I think that they're promoting ideas that are damaging in the long run. We want people who, we want, we want men to believe in being men. And we want men to have an aspiration to be strong, to be dependable, to be courageous, to be virtuous, to be trustworthy. And aggression and masculinity and testosterone and these ideas that all oh, these are those all play a role in that. Otherwise, we're just all a bunch of little, you know, little soft handed lumps that are just I hope we could all come to a consensus. No, bad. You know, look, I get it. Not everybody's a door kicker. Not everybody gets to be a Navy SEAL. I didn't get to be one, right? I mean, we, the, we're not saying that we all have to measure up to some ideal of 
super masculinity, but we, we are going to have certain notions of what we're trying to achieve as men, and that should be celebrated in society. You know, strength and discipline and endurance and drive and desire. The, the, this is critical for, for humanity. I mean, I really mean this. Once again, you've got progressives just, I, I know, like, it's a clothing, it's a video for a clothing line, and who really cares, but it's part of a broader, very powerful cultural trend right now where they are kicking at the load-bearing walls of civilization. And they're, they're free to do it, but I'm free to say that it, their ideas are wrong, they're ignoring what is obvious and what is true, and they are undermining truth. At, at every turn. And when it comes to male-female differences, masculinity, biology, they are so anti-science. One of the great ironies of the, of the left right now is they're actually so opposed to what is observable and demonstrable uh, via science and scientific experiment and evidence. And they just don't care. You will not have beta males, just like you're never going to erase the advantage that attractive people have in life because we are human beings, we... We, we are not that evolved. We'll never be that evolved. You will never eliminate our general preference for men who strive, who fight, who achieve. And that's not a bad thing. You know, that's not a bad thing. But this is a, a whole other conversation. Maybe, you know, it would be great on this one would be if we could get Professor uh, Jordan Peterson to join. We've had him on the show a couple of times before. I think we should reach out because I know this is an area where he discusses he discusses this and he says this. You know, I'm just going to tell you from my own experience, I see this with a lot of women who are who have been conditioned to think these are my friends. Now, these are peers of mine who are now in their mid to late 30s. They've been conditioned to think that, you know, they they there should be no gender roles and they should they should pursue their careers every bit as aggressively as men, the same kinds of careers as men. They are not on a any kind of a timeline for having children. And, you know, the same, the same, the same. Absolute equality with men in every sense, irrespective of biology. And there's a lot of misery that comes from this. And I see it. A lot of unhappiness. A lot of, what does this really all mean? Okay, I'm maybe on partner track or maybe I'm a VP at the firm, but does this make me happy? Do I feel fulfilled as a, as a woman doing this? Some, sure, say yes, but a lot of the ones that I know, and I'm speaking just from what I see and observe, the answer is no. And then I also see this in their dating lives. You know, why can't I find a good guy? Why can't I find the guy that, well, what are the virtues that you seek? Are you, are you looking for somebody who would, would pass the political checklist, the ideological checklist they'd set up for what you should date if you, you know, if you go to Vox.com or Huffington Post or one of these places? Because th that doesn't mesh well with the average female psychology of, of what they want to be paired with as a mate. Look, men are supposed to be the protectors. Oh, I know, this is so backwards. And right now, a lot of the ladies listening are like, Buck, I could beat you in an arm wrestling match. That's not the point, ladies. Men are supposed to have a certain role based on their gender. They are. We can fight this. We can argue about it. But it's a losing battle, and it's a destructive one in the process, too. And I see that destruction, and I see that misery. And that's why I won't be silent about it. So they can sit they can sit around and make videos about how masculinity is whatever they want to say it is. Masculinity is, is essentially being a human being, which is not masculinity, it's being a human being. But they can try this uh redefining and and this ignoring of what is so obvious and so observable, but it, it is doomed to failure and doomed to a lot of to, to dooming a lot of people to misery in the process. 
You know, bonobos stick to clothing. Leave the social commentary to others. That's what I would say about this. Um, and we've got a whole lot more coming up, so stay with me. answer your question because you gave you had had to ask you a question you had your opening statement which was how horrible it is that donald trump is talking about all of these people that's what you said you said but you know you said that when people shouldn't be here end up murdering the children of american citizens you know what's horrible when the president of the united states whips up people to beat the hell out of people say goodbye <laughs> That's uh, that, that kind of went off the rails a little bit, I guess. Uh, you had uh, Whoopi versus Judge Gina. I got to tell you, I don't know. You know, those two ladies in their own way, both very fierce. You know, uh, that's that's not a that's not a, a squabble I'd want to get in the middle of. Uh, we had Judge Janine on the show earlier in this week. She is she is feisty, man. She does not mess around. She knows her stuff. And, uh, and you look know, whoopee, but whoopee doesn't give an inch either. So it, that was quite a, you could see they're like, oh, okay, time to go to break. <laughs> they decided it was time to, time to bail out on, on that one. Uh, and I also, I always think these shows, these shows where you have, uh, an audience it, that, that are political shows, you always get the whole like cheering, cheering for one side and drowning out the other. And I don't think that a studio audience for a political debate show is usually a good idea. They have it at the, at the Bill Maher show, too, which I haven't watched in a very long time. Uh, I think I haven't watched that show in years now. I just could I just honestly, I just couldn't take it anymore. So many of the panels were just, you know, yeah, like Trump is Hitler. And they don't. And even before that, it was, you know, Obama is God. And it just wasn't it just wasn't really that that interesting uh, to me. But, you know, you, you have this this uh, this point in in our discourse. And I'm going to I'm going to keep bringing it up, folks, where. Yes, the, the the Democrats, they they think that they've made their case and the the media believes they're on really solid ground with all this stuff about, you know, Trump is a liar and Trump is the worst and Trump is so bad. And there's all this there's all this stuff, you know, when you look at it. Um, but th- then when you actually get down into the nuts and bolts of the situation, when you look at it a little more like, wait a second. What's really going on here? Uh, here? Here's some fun facts for you, folks. Because, you know, you got that audience, you get whoopee. They're like, oh, Trump is the worst. Trump is Hitler. Here's a an Axios poll that is from, hold on, let me see what we have here. From today. All right, here's a poll. And, you know, like, polls are an interesting snapshot. I'm not going to say that they, they're not the be-all and end-all. And I usually think that, especially on cable news, like, all right, let's just do some polls. You know, it can be kind of a lazy way for analysts to, talk about numbers and not really have to make a point but some you know data is also necessary and data is useful here's what it says uh do you approve or disapprove of the way trump handled his press conference with putin of the total and this is after everything this is after they've been saying it's worse than uh it's worse than pearl harbor it's worse than 9-11 it's just as bad as all, all these things, the, the parade of horribles they've tried it out about Trump's meeting, which, as I keep telling you, and look, some folks who listen to this show, it's disappointing me, but they, they think that I 
this week was too much for them with regard to me. They, I've had a couple of people, not a lot. I mean, we're talking about of the, uh, of the vast national squad that is Team Buck. I'm talking about a few emails here, but a few people are like, they just think I was not tr- uh, tough enough on Trump and they're going to go away from the show for, you know, well, I hope they come back. And, you know, look, it's the nice thing about this whole situation is people are free to listen or not listen, right? And I want everyone to listen, but I respect everyone's choices. Uh, but despite all of the craziness from this week, right, all the stuff you've seen, 40% of all people, all people polled, approve of the press conference and the way Trump handled Putin, 40%. Now, you could say, well, Buck, I mean, that means that a clear majority of Americans disapprove, but so, so from what we gather here, 40% of Americans think that, you know, the equivalent of Pearl Harbor was like NBD, no big deal. Among the GOP... 79% totally approve. 79% are on board for this. Total approve, okay? Not like a little bit, not a... And then among independents, it's 33%. So independents, it didn't look so It didn't look so great for them. Uh, oh, and, and by the way, Democrats, the, the single biggest number, Democrats, 91% disapprove of how Trump handled his press conference with Putin. This was just... Folks, this was just a partisan spasm this week. It's not going to affect policy, as I've said. It's not going to change anyone's life. It's not going to make any terrible things happen. It was just a partisan spasm. And Democrats are going to have... You're hearing it here. You've been hearing it for a while. They're going to have to deal with the fact that their messaging is just simply not strong enough right now to have any confidence going into the midterms and saying that Trump is basically Hitler is not going to be good enough. Stay right there, team. I'll be back. Liberty, truth, and great hair. The Buck Sexton Show is back. The approach that we've taken to false news is not that, not to say you can't say something wrong on the internet, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that would be too extreme. Everyone gets things wrong, right? Right. And if we were taking down uh, people's accounts when they got a few things wrong, then that would be a hard world for giving people a voice and, right. and saying that you care about that. But at the same time, I think that we have a responsibility to, when you look at, if you look at the top you know, 100 things that are going viral or getting distribution on Facebook within any given day, I do think we have a responsibility to make sure that those aren't hoaxes and blatant mm-hmm. misinformation. So that's the approach that we have taken, is we look at, at the, the things that are, that are getting the most distribution. If people have flagged them as potential hoaxes, we send those to fact checkers um, who are all well-reputable and um, and, and have, have followed standard principles for fact-checking. And if those fact-checkers say that, that it is provably false, um, then we will significantly reduce the distribution right. um, of that content. That was Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg in an interview on uh, Recode, which I'd never heard of until now. But he's telling you how it's going to happen, folks, what they're going to do, how the other side is going to play the game, right? They now have these fact-checkers who... If you look at PolitiFact, if you look at some of these outfits, very clear that they are left-leaning, to say the least. I think you could even go as far as to say that they are, in many cases, left-wing aligned. But this is the, the, uh, the central offensive effort of the left right now to monitor and change and censor and throttle speech online. Say it's just about facts, really. They've also got Zuckerberg saying in the same interview that 
violent content or content that could inspire violence, uh, they're going to censor that. Here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? There will be a, as long as Silicon Valley is dominated by people who have progressive ideology, which it currently is, in a way that is similar to college campuses, think of the faculty at Harvard and now put them in charge of some of the biggest, wealthiest, most powerful companies in the world, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and and understand that the faculty at Harvard and the Facebook, Google, Twitter sphere, people running those companies, have the same politics. Okay, so you, you need to keep that in mind, and you need to also remember that they're always going to have these, oh, well, we're just, we're just trying to protect people, or we're just trying to you know, keep falsehood from being spread online. It's going to be weaponized against the right. And this is, it's really unfortunate, I've seen it for a long time, because of the Internet, because of the new media, the left lost its stranglehold over the narrative in this country, right? They no longer had three channels, three anchors, a few big newspapers, all of them dominated by the left, uh, where you got your narrative of what's happening in your community, in your country, in the world. And this is something the left, they haven't accepted this. They want to go back to the old times when they had a massive, I'm not saying they had complete control of the narrative. And we weren't living in North Korea, obviously. There was William F. Buckley in the 20th century at National Review. And you had these different conservative voices that were certainly a part of the conversation. And America, despite where the media was for, for most of the 20th century, uh, did have a, a what we would consider today a clear traditionalist center-right perspective. The American people did. But they want, the media wants to get back their massive advantage in the distribution of thoughts and ideas. And social media is how they do it. They can't do it with cable TV. They can't do it with newspapers. But social media is how they're going to try to do it. And they're going to say it's to regulate hate speech. They're going to say it's to get rid of violence. But I'm telling you, they're putting in place, it's already been happening. They are putting in place and it's a private company, folks, so we can't say, oh, First Amendment. You know, we have to watch this, and we have to demand better. You know, you, you might have to have the same way that you needed a Fox News as a counterbalance to what you were seeing with all the other cable news networks. You know, you, you might have to have a center-right conservative uh, social media platform where you don't have to worry about your traffic getting throttled. Or, you know, if, if you post things in support of guns now, the Second Amendment, I mean, are, are you advocating violence? A lot of people in the country would say yes. A lot of leftists would say yes. So guess what? It's not even that they'll ban you. At least if you get banned, you know. What you heard at the end there is basically throttling or limiting the traffic. So just elevating some voices while minimizing others. It's the equivalent of you're having a debate and your mic gets turned off while the other guy's mic gets turned way up. That's how they will control the narrative. And Facebook which is a leftist organization, a left-wing driven company, is going to be a critical part of their agenda here. So we got to keep an eye on this. That said, roll call, Facebook, that's up next. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. All right, let's get into that roll call action. You know what time it is? First up. Uh, and remember, facebook.com slash And Don't just send me messages there, folks. If you are listening and you have not already, please, please do follow me uh, so you can see the posts and you can be up to speed on all things Freedom Hut. All right, Thomas up first here. He writes, oh, well, it's quite a note. Buck, in your segment about foreign countries hacking our data and stealing our technologies, 
You should have mentioned the long-term implications of how all that data and intellectual property is sold on the dark web. It's a major industry that is utilized by every racketeering organization and cartel around the world. Their level of sophistication far exceeds anything governments have. Competition between governments for cyber spying is old hat compared to the intricate systems devised by international traffickers and contraband networks. If the talking heads on the media networks ever started to dig into the amount of legal network traffic that goes on every day, their heads would explode. Interesting. Uh, we never stop fighting the fight shields high. Well, thank you, Thomas. I did not really, I don't really know much about the dark web, to be honest with you. So uh, I will look into this, but very interesting thoughts from you and appreciate you writing in. Johan writes, hey, Buck, man, this messaging is tough. I hit enter to start a new line and instead it sends. My wife has schooled me about it, so no more hello, Buck, with nothing else. You are the only conservative talk show I can listen to these days. The others I shut off after a few minutes because most are hosted by pompous idiots. If you run for office, I will vote for and support you. The reason for this message is something that happened with the All-Star game. It seems that a pitcher in that game made some hateful tweets when he was 17, which was some years ago. Now MLB is doing the look how superior we are thing and sending this guy to sensitivity training. MLB is like the police and Navy are to me, and that is something I no longer know. The Navy I was in in the 70s doesn't exist, and my old uh, department doesn't even exist anymore, absorbed into the NYPD. Buck, I give up. The only good thing is my time on this earth is closer to the end than the beginning. The coming train wreck is unavoidable, by the way. I no longer follow the Mets. Johan, a few things here. Johan, first of all, thank you for your kind words about my show. And I know that there are others out there who take a very different approach, and they do a lot of, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, listen to me, I'm amazing, I'm the smartest. You know, that's not really, I, I leave all judgments about my ability, my talent, my insight to all of you, and I, and I hope that you find it worth your time. I, I don't sit here and talk about, at least in any seriousness, how great I think I am. Uh, that's just my way, other people have a different way. As to your comments, yeah, things have definitely uh, been in a lot of flux. There's a lot of change going on. But my friend, there is always there is always a uh, good reason to push ahead. And this is really a moment to say shields high. It means keep that shield up, stay in the fight, and just be aware that you never, ever give up. You stay in the fight and you stay for what you believe in. Mark writes, hey, Buck, not sure when you are live when I listen on 960 a.m. in Connecticut. And I don't always get to hear roll call, but I heard tonight that you learned Arabic. My question is, what is the best way to learn another language? Did the agency have programs to make it easier? If able to respond back, I would appreciate it. Shields high. Well, Mark, let me tell you, I'm not a linguist. I'm not somebody who's, uh, I'm not somebody who's great at, uh, at other languages. I was decent at French for a while, though I'm very, very rusty now. I took a little German, which I probably remember 150 words of, and I took Arabic, which I probably remember 50 words of. Um, but I, I was studying it before 9-11 because of my interest in the region in terms of its history and politics, the Middle East. So, you know, the, from, from what I've seen from people I know who have learned the language, who have done very well with it, from what I've seen, um, the truth is that uh, you want to get momentum going, meaning once you start throw yourself into it. Don't dabble because you won't make the progress necessary to keep you motivated to stay in it. So you need momentum uh, with languages. And that means you want to go in, you know, with a lot, because as you learn more, you'll want to spend more time learning more. Right. But if you're just learning little bits and you forget little bits and forget, uh, it's not as 
effective. But I leave it to other people. I mean, I have an uncle who is a true linguist. He speaks, speaks uh, six languages. So I'm, I'm certainly not in that category. I'm just working on my English. But, uh, Mark, people I know have had some pretty good success with some of the language learning software that's out there, at least to get you to a reasonably conversational level. All right. Monica writes, Buck, please stop saying Muslim ban when it is not. You are falling in the trap of using left vocabulary as always shields high. Monica, you are correct. They call it a Muslim ban. It is not a Muslim ban. And this is one of these instances where I say to you, see, even, even I fall victim to getting pushed into the discourse of the left and the way that they, well, really the, the word choices of the left and the way that they speak about all these things. So that is uh, something that I think it's important for all of us to avoid for obvious reasons. Uh, and you do not, you look, you don't, you don't want the enemy. You don't want the other side telling you how to speak. It's pretty straightforward. Brian, next up here, uh, he writes, Buck, thank you for showing the insanity portrayed by Congressman Jim McGovern. I'm sad to say that through no fault of my own, he represents me in my district of Massachusetts. But this year he has a couple of competitors. I've been supporting a new Republican candidate, Tracy uh, Lovorn, and even marched with her during the 4th of July parade. Even though I know that gains, uh, that gains no points with your parade-hating self. True, Brian, true. Don't worry, I'm there with you. I don't even go to other parades, even though I'm a veteran, for example, but this was important to me. If this shameless plug could make it on air to help get rid of Jim's ridiculousness, I'd be very grateful. So here's a link to the site. TracyforCongress.com is the site. Tracy Lovorn for the U.S. Congress up in the state of Massachusetts. There you go, Brian. Your wish is my command. Now, uh, Jen writes, Dude! You need to make a Hyena Arena t-shirt. Well, Jen, I kind of like that idea. I think that makes some sense. But we need to get our t-shirts up. By the way, I've been getting messages from some of you that your t-shirts are very delayed. I wrote an email today uh, to address this, and, and I'm going to follow up and see what's going on with our vendor. Because with our site change, you know, technology, things get a little messed up. Uh, if, you, if you ordered a shirt and did not get one, Write to me on Facebook, and we'll track down what's going on. And you know, if it, we we will we will make this right, because uh, I really appreciate all of you who buy T-shirts, and and also, by the way, I really appreciate all of you who check out our sponsors. So, if you ever have a problem when you type in a promo code for one of our sponsors, whether it's Black Rifle, you guys heard from the Strikeforce CEO last night. Uh, when you go to Strikeforce doc, StrikeforceEnergy.com and you type in Buck. Not only are you getting 10% off and you're sending it to troops around the world, everything you buy gets sent to troops. So just remember that. But uh, every time you type in that buck and press enter, you get 10% off, you're helping troops, and you are telling the Strike Force CEO, hey, I'm part of Team Buck and, and I want to support you and the show. But if it doesn't work for some reason, if the promo code doesn't, let me know because technology is constantly uh, something we have to stay on top of here. Um, John, next up here. Uh, just heard you talking about the dreaded N-word and was impressed uh, that you were able to continue that conversation. I'm even more impressed you didn't say chillax. You really said that? I can tolerate idiots talking like idiots, but when intelligent people, hey, man, you know, sometimes I like to throw words like chillax into things. Settle down, John. Settle down. All right, let's see what we get here. Uh, Bob writes, was in town in D.C., For the MLB All-Star game the last three days, man, it was humid and swampy. 
Bob, indeed. It is humid and swampy here in D.C. It is, it is swamp-tastic. Uh, it's a real thing that happens here in this town. And, you know, it's not just the politics that are swampy. There you go. Paul writes, Paul from Austria. Guten Tag, Paul. Yeah, how's things doing? We miss you here in the United States. Paul writes, would like to ask you to tell me about illegals voting. Do they do it? Is there much information on this data? My stepmom is Hispanic and is so certain they do not. I want to show her otherwise. Please keep up the great work. It is a pleasure to listen to your message. Thank you, Paul. Paul, the truth is we don't know. We don't have the data. And the left and the Democrats pretty much refuse to let us get the data. They do not want, the, they do not want uh, things to be collected here uh, that could let us know the answer. They'd rather this all be swept under the rug. They constantly say that there is no such thing as voter fraud. It does not happen. You know, don't believe it. Well, there is voter fraud. So how much is there? We don't really know. And we also know that DMVs, because of the motor voter law, DMVs register anyone who shows up. And in a lot of states, you get people who are registering for a driver's license, even though they're not citizens and cannot legally vote. Well, it stands to reason, doesn't it, that even if not through intentional malfeasance, people could show up. And be told, hey, you're at the DMV, register, and they register, and then they think they're allowed to vote. But we don't know, because they won't allow there to be any real research into this at the national level. So I, I think, let's put it this way. Wouldn't it be surprising, giving every, given everything that's at stake, wouldn't it be surprising if, uh, you know, we found out that there wasn't a fair amount of voter fraud? Well, we, we think that system is totally honest and fine. There's no problems there. Uh, that strikes me as a bit of a stretch. Matthew, next up here, writes, I just started to watch Rising, good show, and caught Crystal's opening bit and had to post this. Are progressives that blind? Complaining about Trump or Republicans not being fiscally responsible? No, they are not. Uh, no, they are not. Pardon me. Uh, but neither are the Dems. How much debt did Obama add? Would love to hear her defend that. Keep up the good fight, Matthew. You know, Matthew, what you see, I think, with all this stuff about debt and spending is that there's a, a pretty clear tendency among folks to think that their side spending, because spending is correlated with government action, their side spending is a good thing. And the other guy's spending, the other side spending is a bad thing. And I, I this is unfortunate. It's a bit cynical, but this is the reality of what we see in politics today i mean when was the last time you really heard somebody getting energized about a 20 trillion dollar debt when was the last time you heard somebody who was particularly fired up about what that's doing to the country i mean ron paul occasionally talks about it but very few people seem to care much at all about what's going on with the the debt so yes you are correct progressives now pretend to care obama spent us into oblivion and they are being dishonest with this stuff, but it is what it is. Uh, that's going to be it for today in the hut. Please do uh, check out our sponsors, like I said, and uh, also get ready for the Freedom Hut podcast. My guest, Jedediah Bila, this week. We're talking about a lot of fun stuff. You'll want to hear that. It's going to be a very relaxed chat about some things. Uh, and then, until tomorrow, my friends, I'll be up in NYC. Shields high.